0: Hey, podcast listeners, Mackenzie here. I wanted to personally thank you for listening and being a part of our community. We couldn't do this show without you. As we shape the next series of the Living Centered Podcast, I wanted to invite you specifically to help us out. We want to hear from you. We're currently in the process of curating a series all around exploring the relationships that make up our lives. Together with various experts, clinicians, and on-site alum, we'll explore the nuances, intricacies, and impact of the relationships within which we all exist. From families of origin to friendships, dating, working relationships, and beyond. We hope to host conversations with guests who bring a definitive and unique perspective. This is where you come in. We want to know your pressing relationship questions. You can submit your questions to podcast at experienceonsite.com And you might just hear an answer on our next series.
1: Success will take you places that character cannot sustain you. And I think for many of us, we are chasing achievement, chasing success, chasing bigger stages, chasing and the gap between what we're able to achieve and our character are light years apart and in a world of twitter and in a world of the truth coming to the light i'm just seeing a holy reckoning happening that like unless we actually start to invest in our past and in our trauma and in our stories and our blind spots and our triggers we're gonna drift to a point where the easier thing to do is gonna be to get in front of people or to achieve or work instead of actually have the intentionality to say, I want my integrity, I want my character, I want the real me to be present everywhere I go.
2: Welcome to the Living Centered Podcast, where we enter
1: into honest conversations about pursuing a more centered life, rediscovering, reclaiming, and rooting in to who we truly are. I'm your host, Miles Edcox.
2: I'm your host, Lindsay Nobles.
0: And I'm your host, Mackenzie Vogt. Hey friends, welcome to another episode of the Living Center Podcast. Today, Lindsay and I are so excited to bring you another incredible conversation. We sat down with Steve Carter, pastor, speaker, podcast host, and author of the new book, The Thing Beneath the Thing. Y'all, how many times in our lives do we get caught up in the chase of success without asking ourselves the hard question, why are we doing it? Where are we going? Is this going to give me the result that I want? Have you ever crossed the finish line only to realize that the accolades didn't actually bring you the satisfaction that you thought they would? Or maybe you were running so hard, not looking left or right, just forward, only to finish and realize you were running the wrong race entirely. This conversation is such a gift. Steve gets honest about his own journey chasing success and accolades and some of the voices that came along in his journey to help him realize the importance of doing his own work. Naming and examining his own trauma and leading with character when it means the most. I'm so excited for you to meet our friend, Steve Carter.
2: So excited to have a friend, Steve Carter, on the podcast today. Um, Steve, I don't know you as well as I would like to, but any interactions that I've had with you over the years, I just have been so impressed with your character and just how you show up. And I know that you. And your family have walked through some hard things, and I feel like you just take all those and just use them to sort of make you a better man, which is really cool. So, uh, thank you for joining us.
1: Well, Lindsay, you you are incredible. You probably saw me at my lowest point, and I I was so grateful. Like you, uh, you're just a have this amazing, amazing gift to to create space for people to be honest and human. And I just remember seeing you in Catalyst. It was like three years ago and I felt like my world had just like been rocked and you and Miles just took time with me. And I just, I remember going, I don't know who these two really are, but man, they are so, so impressive. So it's an honor to be with you. Sorry. Mm. I think I interrupted you, but I just needed to like brag on you for a second.
2: No, no. Yeah, it's just fun. And it's one of those instances of watching somebody online and getting to have minimal in-person interaction with them, but they live up to what you imagine them to be. And so I love following both you and your wife, Sarah, and everything y'all get into. And always wish that you lived in Nashville with us so that you could be my pastor. But you are one of the people that pastors (laughs) me from afar, for sure. Thank you. Yeah. So um, you have a podcast that is sort of about character and helping build character or having conversations around character. And I feel like the, that I'm listening right now to the Rise and Fall of Mars Hill. Yes. And I know Mackenzie started it as well, but it's just so fascinating because I think it talks about how when people's position gets um, sort of in front of their character. And I think yeah. that happens a lot in today's day and age because of the internet. And how have you seen that sort of issue? How do you watch people sort of invest in building their character so that it aligns with the work that they're doing? Yeah,
1: it's a really, really hard reality because sometimes character is kind of expected, but we don't actually put resources towards it. We don't make time. It's it's not like you can ever just say, hey, you know, Mackenzie, Lindsay, I'm just going to take some time to go work on my character. You know what I mean? And so I think what, what yeah. gets celebrated is what we produce and what we create. And I'll never forget Dave Chappelle, uh, the comedian, he signs that $50 million contract with Comedy Central. Season three, episode five, he ends up telling a joke and he, he sees like someone like laugh and he goes, the joke didn't, didn't really deserve that kind of laughter so he, he like felt uh, like he couldn't trust who was around him, and he freaked out. And he literally just goes to, mm-hmm. like, walks off stage. He, he, like, picks up his phone. He, he calls his driver, has his driver take him to the airport, and goes to, like, the American Airlines counter, and he's like, hey, I want to go as far away as possible. American Airlines lady says, uh, you can go to uh, South Africa in three hours. She's like, deal. So he goes to this monastery, he spends like six, eight weeks there. And then six months later, like every celebrity who's trying to almost uh revive their career, he finds himself on the couch with Oprah. And Oprah looks him mm. in the eyes and she's like, why'd you do it, Dave? What was going on? And he said this line that I thought was just so genius, so brilliant. He just said, success will take you places that character cannot sustain you. And-
0: uh. Mm, That's really good.
1: I I think for many of us, we are chasing achievement, chasing success, chasing bigger stages, chasing. And the the gap between what we're able to achieve and our character are light years apart. And in a world of Twitter and in a world of uh, the truth coming to the light – I'm just seeing a holy reckoning happening that like, unless we actually start to invest in our, in our past and in our trauma and in our stories and our blind spots and our triggers, we're going to drift to a point where the easier thing to do is going to be to get in front of people or to achieve or work um, instead of actually have the intentionality to say, I want my integrity, I want my character, I want the real me to be present everywhere I go.
0: Hmm. That's so good. It makes me think of, um. I dove into your new book just a little bit. I got like access to the first chapter and was kind of digging in. And you talk about that default position of like, what's the most comfortable? When I think so many times, what's the most comfortable? Is that producing? Is that standing? Like I function the best in chaos or I function the best when I have that large platform and I'm not having to answer the hard questions or to become face to face with the actual side of that. So that's really interesting. And what does that look like for you and your story?
1: Yeah, you know I I think for many, many years I was on that path of just chasing, reaching, achieving I mean and ever since I was a kid, I think I could tell stories I could I could engage with people I felt like I learned how to connect with people and remember names and so I was I had good relational capabilities. I had good storytelling capabilities, had some good leadership traits. And, you know, you you go to a church and they're like, you're good. You get on stage, you know, and you just start getting these opportunities. And, but there was, there was pain. There was abandonment issues. There was betrayal issues. There was like secrets. I, I was forced to keep as a kid. There, there was, there was a lot of stuff. And when I think about what was fun, it was actually being celebrated. What wasn't fun was actually having to to do the hard work. And it wasn't until I found myself um, probably about 10 years ago, I came home one day and I was telling my wife, Sarah, and I said, Hey, this guy did it again. Like, I feel like I said something in a meeting and he just minimized me. And I was looking for some spousal support, a little backup. And she just said, isn't God so kind? And I'm like, What do you mean he's so kind? Like, isn't, isn't God so Mm. kind that he keeps bringing people into your life that remind you of your deepest pain and deepest wounds. And he's giving you a chance to actually honor that truth. Will you have that courageous curiosity now? And I was like, I, I wanted you to be mad at this person. I didn't want you to like make this a (laughs)
0: lesson.
1: And I think, (laughs) I think for me that, that made me see triggers differently as almost mm. a gateway into past wounds, into past trauma, into the the pain my body was, was carrying and keeping instead of the permission for all of that negativity or sadness to go out, whether into some hideout or some insecurity or some narrative, but that there was a greater kind of sanctifying work to make me more whole holy if i would actually engage with that past hurts and so that led me to counseling mm. actually led me to you know going to on sites like uh this living center program and you know i i I feel like my counselor, Jim changed my life in in an amazing way. (laughs) And and just being able to see other people wrestling with different stories and different pains, but there was a connection with it. And, and, you know, onsite always talks about how the majority of the work or 70% of the work is like watching other people go through it. And it was like, so beautiful for me to watch people engage honestly. And I was like, oh, I can learn something from that question or I can learn something from that exercise that really could apply to this trigger or this pain point. So for me, it's just kind of been going to work on my story and Mm. really trying to be honest and human with who I really am, the real sadness, the real kind of grieving that I just needed to learn how to do.
2: Yeah, I think, and I also read the introductory chapter of your book, The Thing Beneath the Thing, And the story that you tell in that chapter one about you are on a road trip, I think, with Sarah, and uh, somebody throws snow at the car. And I would love it if you tell that story because I think it does such a great job of illustrating what a trigger is. And I think for people that aren't familiar with that term, I feel like we use it so colloquially, that term trigger. But a lot of times people... Don't really know what they're talking about. A lot of mental health words kind of get thrown around like that, but I think triggers one. Will you tell that story and just explain what triggers mean to you?
1: Yeah. So I was living in Grand Rapids at the time, and I was leaving my grandparents' house, and I was I was driving a little Honda Civic. You know, my my wife, my nine month olds in the back seat. We're in the middle of a snowstorm, and I'm just driving and. We're kind of talking, processing the dinner with my grandparents and my family when all of a sudden something hits my car and I realize it's not like flurries from, from, from the sky. And I'm like, I think someone just threw a chunk of ice at her car. And Sarah's like, don't worry about it. Just, let's just go. And I'm like, no, like I got to work. This is, this is not right. And so I flip the a U-turn like, and my wife's like, what are you doing? And I'm like, I see someone running. And I pull the car over. She's like, "Steve, what are you doing?" I'm like, "I can't let them get away with this." And so I I leave my wife and nine month old on the side of the road. I cross like four lanes of traffic. There's like an the embankment that I think I can jump. And midway through the air, I realize I I can't. And I land in what I think is a pile of snow, but the snow is just covering a creek. And now I got soaking oh wet pants like up to my waist, and I. I literally lose my mind. Oh my I'm gosh. like, <laughs> I'm gonna find you. I've called nine one one because I can see them, and I'm like, I'm gonna chase them down. So I, I run as fast as I can, like chasing. I get into the suburban neighborhood. I, I, you know, I always joke that like I watch CSI, so I know what to do. Like I close my eyes and I start to listen. Like I hear like a garage door go down. I run up to the house, knock on the door. And I got soaking wet pants. I'm out of breath, and an older gentleman answers the door. And I'm like, "Hey, did, like, somebody just come in here." And he's like, "Oh, my grandson and his friend just did." And I was like, "Cool, can I talk with them?" He's like, "Yeah, let me go get them." And in this moment, like, the door closes, and I'm just standing there, shivering, out of breath, and I just feel this like question within my spirit. Just say, "Who's the crazy one?" And, and at this time I'm working with middle school students, the door opens and it's like two sixth grade puppies that are like looking at me. And I'm like, I'm about to lose my mind on these guys. And so I just, I just look at them and I say, nice shot. And I walk away. And as I'm walking away, I'm like, what is going on? And, and, and I realized like what was going on was that was the last time I was going to see my grandparents because we were moving to California Mm. and on our way to go see my grandparents, the people who had said they were going to buy our house had backed out. And I felt like I did not know how to sit with my sadness and my lack of trust that everything was going to be okay. But what happened was these two sixth graders and that one chunk of ice gave me this outlet To actually like lose my ever loving mind. And so what I think about triggers, I think it's the setup that sets us off. So like a great comedian has a setup to a joke and then the idea is to get you going in a direction and then when you least expect it to turn it and surprise you with some punchline. Well, the triggers are your day is going in a certain direction. You have all of these, you know, premeditated resentments or expectations, as I learned at Onsite. You have all of these like going through your day and then something gets dropped in the middle of your day and it sets you off. And for me, I realized like, oh man, I call my mentor that next day and I tell him and he just laughed at me. He's like, you chased down sixth graders. I said, I did. And and he said, well, <laughs> uh, welcome to getting after the thing beneath the thing, the endless discovery of what's really going on. And that's just been the last decade, just trying to understand why I do what I do and literally try to get honest and human about what I can do about it to prevent some self-sabotage or train wreck.
2: Yeah, I I think I love that story the most because I like even reading it, I was like, I resonate with this. Like I've had those moments and a lot of times, like for you to have the self-awareness or the voice whisper in your mind of like, what's really going on here and like, who's really being crazy? is so helpful because I feel like a lot of times I'll like double, like get ashamed, you know, of myself and like kind of double down on it. Right. Instead of like really like being willing to open up and be like, what's really going on? Like it, it can be really scary to ask about what what's the thing beneath the thing. Yeah. Um, those defense mechanisms have worked for us for a while, you know?
1: That's right. Well, and it's interesting too, because I think if it wasn't a sixth grader or seventh grader, I think if it was like, Probably an older college student, I probably would have lost my mind. But seeing this, the 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 little boy in this sixth grader, like nervous, I remembered like how I was as a kid. I remember the eggshells mm-hmm. I walked on. It was like it was this. I think even just being able to see and go, oh man, I like become that worst version of a parent that I didn't want to be. You know, and and I always like, you know, someone asked me yeah. once, like Steve, how do you know you're a good parent? And I, went, and I didn't know really what to say, so I just said, um, well, I think I'll become a good parent if my kids go to counseling for different reasons than I go, because I Ugh. I don't want I love that <laughs> I don't want to pass down the same stuff that was given to me, but I know I'm gonna give them stuff, and they're gonna have mm-hmm. to do their work. I want to break that cycle, and so yeah, that's that. That is a difficult piece, though, is for me seeing the seeing myself in the other person that I was about to lose my mind off.
2: Hmm.
0: We often say at onsite, if it's hysterical, it's historical, and that's what I kept thinking of reading that story of. Like I've been in those moments where I know that my reaction is so outsized to what's actually happening, and it's an invitation, right? It's an invitation to lean into what's actually beneath this, what's actually going on. But I think so often I lean into the ladder of like, there's an invitation and I am going full fledged ahead away from that. But yes, I just, I resonated so much with sitting in that. And I love the idea of your kids going to counseling for different things. That's just a really, a really beautiful picture of recognizing that all of us are going to have, like, we can't be perfect. That's even like a graceful view on your parenting of like, I can't be perfect, but I'm going to show up and hopefully it's not the same things. Like I'm not, uh, I'm gonna get curious enough with my own wounding to not put on the same wounding. That's really cool.
1: I'm grateful that you you mentioned that hysterical line because I think that's I think that was one of my greatest learnings uh, for my time at Onsite. Both Carlos and uh, my counselor there, that, Carlos, uh, yeah, Jim Crest, like they mentioned that, and I remember just going, "Gosh!" Like that gave me an awareness to really watch, like even if hysterical can be anger, but it also could be like sadness. It could be defensiveness. It could be, there's so many different emotions that could come up in my own personal hysteria, but then to get curious of that, where's the history behind that? And just Mm. like in curiosity, not shame, but just the curiosity of going, Huh, isn't that interesting? Like what's what's really happening that's making me want to get so defensive with my wife Sarah or so angry at this person on Twitter that I don't even know. You know, like what's what what is that about? What have they seen or I'm afraid that they've seen that mm. reminds me of, you know, X or Y or Z in my story? And so that line, if people can hear that and embrace that and just be humbly curious you will save yourself so much pain in the long run.
2: Yeah. I know you're a big sports guy and you are a pastor to many. And I I feel like both of those things stereotypically are not, doesn't lend towards somebody that would be really open to emotional health conversations and counseling. Have you always been aware of this emotional side of yourself or how did you sort of step into that? Was there stigma around it?
1: I was always a pretty sensitive kid. You know, my, my dad, before um, he knew Christ, um, I always said he, he said three things, um, something very wise, something very funny, or he cussed me out. And that, that was my that was my childhood. And, and he was my adopted father. So my biological father was out really early. I, I, I didn't know him. So I, I think I, I learned how to read a room because I had to read my dad. I, I could tell by the way he walked to pick me up from school if I could talk with him on the drive home or if it was get home, grab your basketball and like get o- far away from home. And so I think I mm-hmm. had this this awareness that there was more going on, but it was a total self-preservation piece. And I also had this sensitivity side that like I could tear up. And I think part of me during that, you know, growing up in the 80s and 90s was kind of like, shut that down. Don't let people see your emotion. Don't let like shut that down. So I think I actually was wildly emotionally aware, but didn't have the language as a kid. And then I went through a total stunting of my own emotional and personal growth. And I started to go where there was applause and where there was achievement and where there was people saying you're really good and and it wasn't until i began to watch people self sabotage and train wreck their life that i realized this is the path i'm on yeah this is the path i'm on and i i married a woman who is is wildly in tune to the deeper things and you know marriage is like A mirror to your beauty and brokenness. And um, she was reflecting Mm -hmm. back some real truth about me and I couldn't deny it. And so, so I think that's been the, the, that actual journey, like is almost reclaiming that little innocent child and actually doing the work to make space and make room for that in my life. Mm.
0: That's a lot of self-awareness to see the people around you, I would imagine those would be the voices in your life that are the loudest or the voices in your life that are the most appealing because they're getting the accolades. Um, But then to have the self-awareness to say, okay, I don't want to do that and have to take the left turn. um, I bet that that was a a little bit of a a fork in the road if it were. Yeah. That's interesting.
1: Yeah. You know, and, and, you know, I had a great mentor and he passed a few years back um, but he, he would often pull me aside when I was in high school and he just said, hey, I don't care what anybody says about you. I don't care about how great you are. Mm. I don't care about like what you produce. Um, the only thing I care about is your integrity. And, yeah. and he'd always ask me like, did you have integrity today? And he goes, it's, it's the only thing that you'll spend seconds, minutes, hours, days, weeks, months, seasons, years, decades, achieving and can be lost in seconds. And so mm. just don't be that guy. And so every time I would call him, or every time he'd call me, that's, that's all he cared about, your character, your integrity. So even when I wasn't aware, it was like this, this like bass note that was just like integrity, integrity, <laughs> integrity. Like that was just yeah. playing because of, of how just pushing that, you know, into me. Like, and so that I think was really, really helpful. And then when I saw people that I thought, man, they're, they're pretty awesome. They're pretty special from a talent side. But then there was the cognitive Mm -hmm. dissonance with like actually what was going on in their life. I realized like I can respect their talent, but man, what Hal's saying about integrity, man, that's – if I don't get that right, uh, that's where I'm headed. That's where I'm headed.
2: Hmm.
0: Yeah. Hey, friends. Lindsay and Mackenzie in here interrupting this awesome conversation with our friend Steve. Just to talk to you a little bit about our on-site programs. So if you've been around here long enough and listening to the podcast, you've heard from a lot of alumni who share about their on-site experience. And if you've been curious, we want to invite you to check out one of our in-person programs coming up in 2022.
2: Yeah, we just launched our 2022 calendar, and so one of the cool things about the calendar next year is we will be doing more programming out in California at the Oaks, and so um, that's enabling us to do a Living Centered program, uh, which this podcast was named after every two to three weeks, and so you can either do that Living Centered program outside of Nashville at our Cumberland Furnace campus or at the Oaks, which is right outside of San Diego.
0: Yeah, I just love that we got the opportunity this year to look at what are people needing? What are people asking for? I think in the midst of being almost two years into a global pandemic, we're just seeing that rise and people really wanting this in-person experience. And so we really got with our team and got strategic of the ways that we could offer our most popular programs more often, including intensives and our Living Center program.
2: Yeah. Yeah. So hopefully you'll check out our calendar and join us for our program and let us know if you're on campus, because we'd love to meet you. We would love to meet you. So explore all our program offerings at onsiteworkshops.com,
0: or you can connect with a member of our admissions team to really figure out what might be the right experience for you at 1-800-341-7432. Now back to the interview.
2: I love it that you've got these like really key prominent voices in your life that really are helping you fight for that integrity, character, uh, authenticity. It's just neat. And I think a lot of us choose to be around people that just make us feel good about ourselves all the time. I mean, what I know about Sarah, your wife, she seems like a spitfire and that she is like um, just such a protector. I mean, were you wise enough to make that choice? And has that always been her passion and her advocacy for you? Has that always been an easy thing to embrace?
1: I would say no. You know, I remember I lived off campus and I remember heading over to her dorm in when we were in college. And and I, I, I could feel like I had a, a relational ability to get people to open up without ever having to disclose anything. Like I was just, I had that superpower. And I remember just like yeah. sitting with her and she just started asking me questions. And somehow it was like, she knew the combination, and I shared stuff with her that I had not shared with anyone and that's when I knew I was like, "Oh my goodness and i I remember walking back and I just kept saying, "Damn, damn, <laughs> damn, like this is not good, this is not good like she she knows you, she saw you like <laughs> this is uh, not yeah, good she's she can hurt you, she can use the like you mm. like all of the vulnerability fear and i I think um, the easier thing would have been to find a super fan and that's not her. I mean, she, she, like you said, yeah. it. Uh, she, she has my back. She's awesome. She'll challenge me with the right question, the right word. But man, I think for me, I realized nobody's been able to do that.
2: Mm-hmm. And I,
1: I don't necessarily know what intimacy really is, but that is so foreign and if that's actually possible then i i need to chase this thing down cuz somehow like mm. into me she was able to see like i i i couldn't even do that for myself and now yeah. now someone else was and so i think it's been a a 17 year journey of her being masterful at this and you know, me in many ways being a seventh grader in in this kind of language and trying to learn how to do that. But she she is a spitfire. She, she'll keep me on my toes and she'll tell me the truth and I wouldn't be who I am or where I am without her. And just, uh, she is the greatest gift that uh, God's given to me.
2: I love that. I feel like in media, it, like it, relationships and uh, couples are always sort of shown as like, there's like one strong predominant character And so Mm -hmm. I always was so drawn to Eric and Tammy Taylor on Friday Night Lights because they seem like this couple that they both were like passionate and had dreams and they were both showing up in the fullness of themselves. And when I hear you talk about her, it just seems like y'all both are that same way. And if I ever find a partner, I would love it to be someone like that, that, you know, like allows the strength of both Mm -hmm. of us to shine. So thanks for sharing that.
0: Yeah. As I've been reflecting on it, I think that's something that I really appreciate about my husband is that he calls me in rather than calling me out, but he's someone who like is really insightful and seasoned to me and chooses to like step into that. And I think that when you were talking about that, like the distinction between calling someone out and calling them in, calling you into who you are, calling you into your greatest calling, calling you into reflect on that. um, I just think that was really beautiful. So thank you for sharing about her. Yeah. You also mentioned your uh, mentor and I... I think that's such a rarity to have someone in various seasons of your life continue and commit to you. Um, ha, did that inspire you? Have you taken that? And have you then invested in other people in the same way because you've seen the impact of that? Yes. I just wonder what that looks like.
1: Yes. I. So I would say for me, when it comes to health, when it comes to who you want to be, um, Rob Lowe, he wrote he wrote this book and um, the opening – the opening paragraph is all about, he says that Alfred Hitchcock says that 90% of the best picture nominees are based on the characters and the casting. And if the characters in your life are, you know,
0: mm.
1: aware and honest and brave and courageous, like he just goes through this list. You you set yourself up for the best chance to be a best picture nominee. But if you Surround yourself with people who are like vanilla, fearful, scarcity. He's like, you will find your life going straight to DVD, which I just love. You know, now we don't <laughs> ever use DVD, but I just love that that idea. And and so I feel like you have to invest with resources and time and vulnerability when it comes to your emotional yeah. health. So counseling, my wife and I are in counseling, going on onsite. You have to invest in that. Like um having yeah. mentors, like I I set money aside to take my mentors out. And oh, vulnerably hey. like say hey would you mind actually like being someone in my life who can help me? I respect you as a father. Would you teach me about fathering? Or I respect you when it comes to business. Would you just teach me? And I I kind of believe in more of a constellation of mentors of five or six different people. Yeah. But I, I invest in that. And many times it feels like a junior high dance. And I hear the word no. And <laughs> um Mark Burnett said whenever you hear the word no just just see next opportunity and i don't put that pressure on that person like they're being honest with their schedule and i appreciate that so i go to another person yeah and so for me i think the healthiest people are the ones that have a great counselor a great spiritual director have a great mentor and are choosing to take what they are learning and give that away. And so there's a few younger uh, pastors, younger leaders that I have been so grateful that they've invited me into their story, invited me to and given me permission to, as you said, Mackenzie called in Mm. and just kind of like invite them to ask some of the deeper questions. So I love it. I love it. And I think it really goes back to my faith tradition, my story was I I didn't really grow up in a home that talked about spiritual matters and mm-hmm. I uh, had these two jun- when I was in junior high there were these two juniors in high school and then their names were Dominic and Nathan but they went by the name Dominate which is just the coolest thing ever and I just remember Dominic coming up to me one day and he just said, "Hey Carter, do you want to learn how to dominate life?" And so I think like in so many ways, these two really took me out to In-N-Out, which is, you know, the greatest hamburger on the planet, and they just mentored me. And so from Dominic and Nathan to Hal to Rob, you start adding this like um, cloud of witnesses in many ways that have really helped me become who I am. And so the best thing I can do is to give that away.
2: Yeah, I love that sort of even how you practically talk about that. I think a lot of times people have this idea of what a mentor is, and all the onus goes on the mentor around sort of, they're waiting for somebody to come to them and just offer like, I want to pour myself into you. And I think that that you're, I think that that's misguided. And so how do you really invest and be courageous and ask people to invest in your life in specific ways is really powerful. And I think, yes, sometimes you'll get no's, but a lot of times you'll get yes's. Totally. Then it's like you've got to follow up with them, you know, that there's just responsibility in being a mentee. And so I thanks for even just talking through that process, because I think it'll be really helpful for people. Oh,
1: good, good.
2: You had a definition for grace that I loved in some of your writing that it talks about grace as the ongoing process and spiritual power that makes us Whole, holy, and spiritually healthy. And one of the things that I just love about people having experiences at onsite is it is that place where they can sort of fully show up as themselves and let people in. I think a lot of times shame keeps us from revealing things that have happened to us and who we truly are, and it's just sort of this lie that we all fight in different ways, and so showing up at places like on site where everybody's kind of coming with their mess is like such a beautiful thing. And um, watching pastors go through the Living Center program is always really powerful for me because letting them experience grace that way is so cool. But I, and I'm like, I wish we could take this back to churches and other religious communities where this is, I think this is what it's about. Like this is what the world is about. Um, how how do we sort of take that and make it more commonplace? And so I just would love to hear your thoughts on that and how we can make ourselves more vulnerable in safe spaces and and make our religious community safer spaces.
1: Such a great question. You know, speaking from like a Christian tradition, you know, one of the primary voices was a, was a man by the name of Paul. And he wrote like, you know, majority of the New Testament. But there's a couple of phrases that he says in scripture that I just don't like. So, um, and, he, and one of them comes in Romans 7, and there's two sentences. I really appreciate the second sentence, and I really struggle with the first one. The first one is, I do not understand what I do. And then he, then mm. the second sentence is, the good I want to do, I do not do, but the thing I hate, I do. So I really relate to that. But I think in yeah. so many ways, what has happened within a lot of spiritual communities is, oh, I don't understand why I do that. And we lack the curiosity or the vulnerability to actually wonder. And so we just keep repeating cycles and yeah. creating moments. And I and I just don't know anybody who's like, today's the day I'm gonna self-sabotage and train wreck all the good that is put before me. But somehow like we've just kind of been like, it's okay to not understand. And I think we've we've gotta have that awareness to say, man, if I'm actually gonna love myself well so that I can love another well, then I have to love the parts of me that were broken, the parts of me that hmm. weren't given a map, the parts of me that are filled with shame, the parts of me that are scared, the parts of me that are yeah. feel like a 52-year-old man and the parts of me that feel like a nine-year-old boy. Like I've got to love everything in between. And learning to do that takes work. And Dallas Willard, who's, for me, just an incredible, incredible thought leader, he once said, grace is opposed to earning, but it's never opposed to effort. And the cool. effort it takes to do your work, the effort it takes to be vulnerable, the effort it takes to show up and fight to become whole and healthy, it it requires that. And I I think, you know, I mean I'll never forget just, you know, Carlos was was talking and he's doing this, this, and he was the the kind of leader of the sessions when um at on-site. And so he's doing these teachings before mm-hmm. we went into our like little groups, and he's talking about codependency. And I I think, you know, Mackenzie yeah. Lindsay, if I, if I would have showed up there, I would have been like, I don't have a codependency problem. Yeah.
2: yeah. <laughs> and like, I,
1: I'm like, I'm a, I'm, I'm a pastor who wants to like help people. Like, I don't, I don't, I mean, <laughs> and as he was talking, I was like, oh, he's talking to me. Like I, Ooh. this is the next level of my work. So, and then I could start to feel the hysteria in me going, oh, this is, this is not comfortable right now because I'm yeah. thinking about the questions that I ask my wife. Like, are, are you sure you're okay? you okay? Like, and I'm yeah. losing myself to try and make I'm okay if mm. she's okay or the way that I had been pastoring at certain times and violating my own personal boundaries, like just to make sure everyone was going to be okay. And in this moment, I'm like, oh, there's, there's more to go. There's more to go. And so I think... What happens, though, is sometimes we get pastors on stages that are the heroes of the story. Yeah. And I think what we have to see is people who are going, I'm in such need of Jesus. I'm in such need of this pursuit of wholeness. Here's where I'm codependent, you know, and here's Mm -hmm. my journey. Here's the steps I'm taking. And I think the more that we can break ourselves open, pour ourselves out, and then point people to actually train professionals and programs like OnSite, I think- gosh, we'd have healthier churches and healthier churches are a Mm. better, like marketing plan for the church than posting some teaching clip on, on Instagram, because Mm. all of a sudden the people that are walking are walking from a healthy and whole and honest and human grace filled place. So I don't know, that's a long way. And I'm a preacher, so I go forever, but that's like in my (laughs) heart of hearts, if we could have more people that were that, um, what a testimony that would be for that community.
0: I love that. And I, I think the way you started that was saying, if I can love myself enough so that I could then pour that love out. And I think sometimes, especially with people who struggle with codependency, hello, <laughs> I, I miss over that step. I just want to love people well, but I miss over that I have to start with loving myself enough to get curious, to deal with my own stuff and to do my own work so that I can come and be the best version of myself for the other people in my life, but it has to start with doing it for myself first. Yes. And I think that was such an interesting connection between the codependency piece when you were talking. But yeah, I love that. And I love having churches where we prioritize ourselves so that we can love well. Yeah. So
2: the codependency thing was like a huge learning for me too. I just, yes. it was one of those words that had gotten thrown around and I didn't really have any idea what it meant. I just knew that it wasn't good to be codependent, <laughs> yes. but, um, There is a great resource around codependency. It's a daily devotion called The Language Mm -hmm. of Letting Go. One of the stories, one of the meditations that she writes about is about this woman whose their family hamster had gotten out and gotten loose in the house. And every time she would just, she'd like see the hamster peek out behind the kitchen table or the closet door and she'd just go chasing after it every time. And then one day she decides she sees the hamster sort of peek out and she decides not to chase it. And it just like walks up to her and she can grab it and put it in the cage. And I was like, oh, that's like just the perfect illustration. And I catch myself so often chasing the hamster. And if I could just sit and be calm and let it come to me and, you know, like let go of the chasing it's a good thing. Mm -hmm. So I always think about that when I think about codependency and I think we all struggle with codependency in some way, shape or form. Yeah. I I haven't met anybody yet that doesn't. um, But I think just the awareness of, of ourselves and how we have healthy boundaries around what is ours and what is actually somebody else's Mm -hmm. is really good. So
1: it's amazing um, how you can go through a situation And I'd always been taught, you know, fight or flight, Uh, you know, or fight or flight or freeze. And I was talking with a counselor and they were saying, you know, they've actually added some other F words to that. And one of them was fawn. And I felt like I realized that, man, sometimes like when something's not right or it feels, I can lose – myself trying to fawn for approval or fawn to make sure like, Hey Zach, are you okay? You ever mm. you know, and I just, it was really, really helpful for me again, just to, to be a- able to see like, is this something that I'm doing to try and appease something to please someone? Or is this something that's actually coming from a, a really grounded and, and kind of a generous place, not a needing place, if that makes sense.
2: One thing that we ask everybody, I know that you really champion counseling and having, you know, mentors and things like that. Is there anything that you do as a daily practice to keep you living centered?
1: I do. um, There's probably um, a few that I typically do, but I have um, this one kind of, it's like a a bit of like a prayer of examine, but I, I start with the welcoming prayer and it was by Father Thomas Keating and Mary Mordorowski, I think I butchered her last name but it really is um there are these beautiful lines in it it just starts with like welcome 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 i i welcome everything that comes my way because i know it's for my healing and then there is this i let go of and it's like four kind of sentences like i let go of um the need to achieve and power and security and then i open myself up so i typically start with that and then i have a journal and i just i just kind of in like julia cameron like the artist way fashion i try to answer the question from genesis where are you and i just i just free write sometimes i'll i'll hike and i'll just speak that out loud and then from there i i typically will write down like who i am and who i am not like i i'm not my title i'm not what this person tweeted about me yesterday i'm not this old memory. I'm not this past. This is who I am. And then I think about, in the there are these four environments in the text and the scriptures, Egypt, Sinai, Jerusalem, and Babylon. And I kind of do like a little prayer of examine. And Egypt centered around like injustice and oppression and temptation. And I say, just say in the last 24 hours, where did I feel this? Um, And I just write about that. And then Sinai represented this place where God met them in the last 24 hours. Where did I feel like The divine met me. And then Jerusalem, which was in Spider-Man theology, like great power comes great responsibility. I ask myself in the last 24 hours, where was I responsible and irresponsible with the unique gifts, talents, power, opportunity that God's given to me? And then I just kind of look ahead to the next 24 hours and I say in the next 24 hours, what's my next best right step? Is there someone I need to call? Is there someone I need to forgive? Is there something I need to do? And then I just write about what's going to prevent me from doing that, and so that's kind of like a, a regular fifteen-minute practice that I'll do, and and it's just really really helpful for me just to again get in tune with what I'm feeling because it's harder for me to do that. It's 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 easier for me to go to work and achieve. It's harder for me to like have moments to sit with the sadness or sit with the truth or sit with the reality of what's really going on. And so that's, that's a little thing I do most mornings.
2: I love that. Do you have that like written down somewhere where people can access it or it's just such a helpful resource?
1: You know, actually, so there's kind of like 10 steps to it. And so Mm -hmm. someone like just asked me maybe like a month ago, so I kind of put it down and then they you know they they it's at like the thing beneath the thing dot com slash prayer and you can sign up for it and, I'll, and it'll just mail to you. It's like like the welcome prayer one day and then the welcome prayer and the that kind of free write the second day, then the welcome prayer free write the I am I am not and it just keeps building for ten days as you just i was just trying to give people like you know in Bill Murray what about Bob language some baby steps to like learn this uh, practice.
0: That's awesome. We'll make sure that we link it in the show notes because I I was listening to it and I was like, okay, I want to go back and re-listen to this because it just seems like such a grounding practice and so applicable um, for creating space and time for reflection with a higher power. So thank you. Yeah. Well, Steve, we're just so grateful um, for the way that you showed up today and just being transparent and, uh, and sharing your own stories. And we're just really grateful. And I'm so excited about your new book, The Thing Beneath the Thing, We just hope everyone will run out and go get it. So thank you for leading the way.
1: Well, Mackenzie, Lindsay, thank you so much. I I just, uh, I think the world of all the good work that you guys are doing. And I think like when I think of what Onsite has has meant for me personally, for what I get to do, but also just uh, for my family, I think my kids have gotten a more present father and people have gotten a more present friend. So thanks for the work that you guys are doing. Thanks for this podcast and um, many blessings, grace and peace, my friends.
0: Mm, thanks, Steve.
2: Thank you for listening today and for committing valuable time to share space with these powerful stories. Make sure you hit subscribe to get all
1: of our inspiring conversations with these incredible people delivered directly to you. And if you found this conversation particularly impactful, consider supporting the show by leaving a
2: review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen.